When the impact happened, I actually got launched to an embankment and I knew my, my right limb was gone. I decided to start talking to our family counselor and eventually we started talking to our psychologist. But I was very respectful of my coworkers. I didn't ask them any questions about what they saw. If anything, I just I was just thankful when they would come see me. I didn't see what they saw. Hey, TMPA Blue Grit. Uh, it's Clint McNear. We're back this week. We've got... Oh, yeah. Tyler Owen. Yeah, me. That's yeah. it. Tyler? You yeah. sure? Yeah, that's it. That's my name. Tyler Owen. <laughs> we'll confirm that before we get too far into this. This is Tyler <laughs> Owen. It's a little early this morning. We've got a good... Uh, we've got a, a great episode today with a, a guest we're honored, honored to have on. Before we get started, hit like, subscribe... Hit the bell down below uh, to get notifications. And uh, everybody that's continued to watch and, and loyal listeners, we we cannot thank you enough. Uh, yeah, shout out to Nathan, man. Uh, he's an explorer. He was with Travis County. He actually told me that he uh, graduated last week. Lives down in uh, or up, is it up in Bastrop? Is Bastrop North? It's actually east, up west in, of uh, west of Austin. Up in, off in, off in. Yeah, cause I'm I'm new to the area. I don't live in the Republic of Austin. I live south near my partner uh, over here. I'm down in, in the San Marcos area. But shout out to that kid, man. He's a good kid. He's about he's I think he's a junior in high school. But uh, he's a huge podcast blue blue grit fan. And uh, anyway, he just graduated the the Explore program. We need more more kids like him. Yep. Hundred percent. Yep. So, anyway, we have a uh, pretty important guest on today. Sam Marcus, now newly promoted, promoted corporal. Is it pronounced Cormier? Cormier. Cormier. Corporal Cormier with the Sam Marcus Police Department. That flows good. That sounds good. It I does. Like that. Yeah, it sounds French. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, welcome on. I appreciate you coming on. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, had her come on. She's got an incident that she's going to talk about. Um, that's uh, pretty inspiring. I've been following her since 2019. That uh, we wanted to kind of talk about. So, welcome on the Blue Grit Podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, you're actually in CID. Yes. Yeah, and you drove up from San Marcos, which I'm currently living in. <laughs> so we're kind of, I guess, technically neighbors right now. Yes. <laughs> she actually informed me, Clint, that uh, where I'm living at in the, in the area, I need to kind of watch my back. Uh, which is crazy because yeah. I, I got my truck. I was going to say, so you can get stuck. So you don't, yeah, yeah. So check this out. So I'm relocating to Austin. I get my truck stolen in Cedar Park. I leave the keys in it. Uh, fob. Yeah, key fob, not keys. But I get my truck stolen in Cedar Park. I moved down to not, and I was not in San Marcos. Let me be clear on that. I don't want you getting getting back and getting in trouble by your administration. I was not in the city limits of San Marcos. Uh, but anyway, I was in Cedar Park, get my truck stolen, and now I have moved to the outer city limits of San Marcos. I'm in Caldwell County, so I need to kind of be aware of my surroundings. Yeah, lock, hide, and take. So now I've got to contact her and her uh, husband, are both law enforcement contacts. So I've yeah, got some contacts. When your truck gets stolen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome on the Blue Grip Podcast. Appreciate you. Tell us about where you uh, grew up, who you are. And uh, who you are as a person and uh, how you got introduced to law enforcement. Okay. Well, good morning to everyone. My name is Claudia Cormier. I am originally from Laredo, Texas. I was born and raised there, but I actually spent a lot of my summers in Mexico. So that was, that was great to be able to have my family on both sides of the border. And from there, I graduated high school in 2003 and I came up to 
go back, go to college at Texas State University from 2003 to 2007. Um, there I was like, okay, what do I do now? So that's when I decided to, I was like, I need a job yeah. <laughs> right after college. It's like, I need a job. Uh, let me see what I can find. I want, I knew I wanted to do something in law enforcement. I just didn't know where, which way to go. So I applied with the San Marcos police department and I was hired on in July of 2007 as a dispatcher. I was there for eight and a half years. And then I got hired on as an officer in 2016. And I've been an officer since 2016 with the same department I met my husband there in 2010, and we got married in 2012, moved to Kyle. We have twins from his previous marriage, teenagers now, and we have three dogs, a tortoise, a bearded dragon, a ball python, and my husband is now a ball python breeder. He actually retired from law enforcement after 22 years, and he has a, over 100 snakes. Now. And a partridge in a pear tree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. We're, uh, so yeah, that's a lot to take in with pythons, twins, tortoises, and, uh, and a retired cop after 22 years. You are a busy woman. Yes, very much so. His, his business keeps us a little bit busy. Over a hundred snakes. We got to clean. We got to make sure they're, they're fed. So I help him out here and there when I can. God bless you. <laughs> oh my God. I am scared to death. Yeah, Clint's definitely snakes. Yeah, bad. They're actually really good pets. They're very calm. You just hold them. That's his um, emotional support animal that he keeps around. That's what he calls it. And I was like, that's fine. I'm not scared of snakes. So. An earthworm it. is too close to a snake for <laughs> for my that I can't believe that scares the snot out of me. <laughs> they're in their own building, so they're they're happily ever after in their own building. We I have the house for me and my dogs and my husband has the the snake shed for him and, and his the snake uh, his friends. <laughs> the wildlife yes. preserve. Yes, the wildlife has. preserve. Can any of them do any tricks like on demand? <laughs> no? Golly. That's crazy. You don't have any comments on that, Clint? I'm 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 a little bit scared right now. Blue grit listeners, take note. Clint McNear is speechless right now for the first time of knowing him he is speechless. He has nothing to say on this. Yeah, I'm a little scared right now. Wow. <clears throat> All righty. Well, so you became a cop. Uh, full-time peace officer for the San Marcos Police Department, you said in 2016? Yes, sir. So uh, you started off on patrol, obviously. Uh, how was what, what what was it like, you know, FTO there in San Marcos? Obviously, you went to San Marcos or uh, Texas State University. Um, you know, I, I, I lived in a town that I worked in. Uh, what was it like, you know, working in a town that you went to college in? I honestly loved it. I know everybody says, no, you don't want to, you don't want to work where you live, but I actually loved it. I enjoyed San Marcos very much. It's where I grew up. Um, it's expanded. It's grown so much it and it continues to grow. So I loved it. And I, that's when I also realized I didn't know my town very well. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know oh, I this, everything going on. Yeah. I lived on campus most of the, most of the time there. So when I moved out and I finally got a real, like they say an adult <laughs> job, I was like, oh, okay, this is what it's like. So I loved it. It was, it was great. And of course I was in a department where I'd already been there for eight and a half years. Mm -hmm. So I felt very comfortable. I was very happy to, okay, I know these people, I know these officers, I trust them. And I know that they're going to do what's best for me. They're going to help me get to where I need to go in my, my career. So what, what year did you go to Texas State? I went from 2003 till 2007. So I got to ask this question. And maybe it's just me because I'm, I, I think differently than most. No. Yeah. <laughs> this is funny. So you went from Texas State in 2003, 2008. Seven. Seven, yeah. Uh, when you were a cop on the street, did you, did you run into anybody that was still attending college? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Are you kidding me? (laughs) They still hadn't graduated in 10 years? Well, I'm actually also an advisor for my sorority on campus, uh, Sigma Lambda Gamma. So I I would see my sorority girls, and I would see everybody from the the council around. So they were very respectful. They were still very happy to see me. So that was a good, that was a good time. I was like, okay, they're behaving. (laughs) But I mean, like, like, and and, and I'm not talking about people that are obtaining their doctorate. I'm talking about people who are still obtaining their bachelor's that were still living on campus. Some of them were still living on campus. Some of them went back and home and they would go back and back home, live with their parents, come back. Uh, So that was also like, well, I mean, I, I, I knew I had to do it in four years. I was on a full scholarship. I got you. And my family was also very much of a, well, you have to go to college. You better graduate. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm envisioning like a Frank the Tank kind of guy, <laughs> like living on campus, doing the two credits a semester, failing out everything. Okay, so you're talking about people that are actually, you know, okay, I get well, it. Well, huge, huge law enforcement supporters of Texas country music artist Mark David Manders. He says <laughs> Texas Tech is the best 11 years of his life. Yeah. He does say that. <laughs> I have heard that come out of his mouth. I have heard that. Yes. He was on the 11 year plan. I think he said he's now a junior. I think he said <laughs> yeah. 11 years ago. Yeah. And I'm sure that was kind of interesting, I guess, working uh, the streets and, and so forth, I guess going to Texas state, but, but you, you obviously enjoyed it. I mean, absolutely. It was great. It was a great experience. I loved college. I actually went back recently into in 2020, I was accepted into the master's uh, public administration program. Nice. And so that's where I'm at right now. I should be graduating next May, 2024. So someday instead of Corporal Cormier, it'll be City Manager Cormier? Maybe one day. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. something I look forward to. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Uh, going to Texas State and then being a police officer for the San Marcos Police Department, is it, does it give you more pride, I guess, working for the department and then uh, you know, having attended college there at Texas State? Is there, is there more pride, I guess, being, being a part of that department and being more involved in that city? I feel very, I feel there's a sense of commitment there. There's a sense of family because you do get to know everyone um, at first I was like, no, it's, I'm an, it's a, it's a small, it's a, it's a small city, but even then it's grown so much, but you still keep in contact with everybody. Um, I, I loved it. I've always loved it being up here ever since I, I'm, like I said, Laredo was small, but it's also grown so much. And San yeah. Marcos continues to grow. Um, but I, there's a sense of commitment. There's a sense of family there where I know everyone and the community has been, always been fantastic to our department, to me at least, um, even before my incident, I always felt a great sense of relief. Like I can, I can con- connect with a lot of the community members here. Yeah. And knowing now that you d- did attend Texas state, now it probably, it makes a lot more sense of the connection that you had with that community uh, of really the impact and the commitment it had towards you and, and the, the outreach that, you know, you had. So if you want to, you know, talk about uh, really that day and, and kind of we'll dive off or delve uh, of kind of the impact uh, the, the incident to, you know, that took place. Absolutely. So, well, I actually, you know, I just as the same thing you asked me if I ran into people who were going to college, I actually ran into some professors after I graduated and they saw me in uniform and that was reassurance for them as well that, Hey, thank you for what you did for me as a student. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, very thankful, especially my professors in writing. They were just fantastic. Took the time to print out my research paper, highlight it with a red pen, like old school, <laughs> not just, Hey, I circled some stuff on Microsoft word and send it back to you. And so that was uh, that was actually reassurance for them too to know, hey, I, you know, this is me as as a professor. I, I did a great job, and I told them that. Thank you for what you did for me while I was there, and now I'm back. So they were they were not they were not shocked to see you in uniform. They were very proud of me, and I, I thought that was great. I wanted I I was very happy that I could actually show them, hey, you thank you for everything you've done. That's for awesome. Me. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, because me and Clint, 
when they saw it, our, our high school, where our instructors <laughs> afterwards, they were shocked to see us in uniform. It was not, it was not the warm welcome, I assure you. So that's that's great. They figured we'd always be dealing with law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They were like, those are the problem kids. But that that I mean, that is pretty cool for your professors, uh, you know, to see you in uniform and to see the impact and and to see, I guess, that they're the, you know, they're the honestly they're the legacy of what they're 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 teaching. You know, to see the the, the legacy that they did, that they're coming through Texas State University and now they're on the streets of San Marcos. And I mean, I guess me as a professor, if I was one, uh, that'd be pretty neat for me to watch. So. Absolutely, it was. I think it was my way of telling them thank you, thank you for what you've done for me, for my family. Because of course, this degree it wasn't just me. My family was always there That's supporting right. my husband. My kids, because it does take time away from my family. I need to I need to go into a room by myself to study, to read. So I told them, thank you so much. Uh, we, we're all very thankful for the dedication you had. Um, and then, of course, um, we get into the uh, my incident from that night. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, here we go. A uh, little bit about the incident. Um, May 18, 2019. It's not just significant for me, but it's also significant for my coworkers, for my family. Um, we all have a different – it impacts us differently, but – a little bit about it. It was about approximately 9.45 p.m. when I responded for a report of debris on the roadway. Um, and that's when the impact happened. So um, when the impact happened, I actually got launched to an embankment. And I knew I had, I was, I knew my, my right limb was gone. Um, I knew when I tried to get, I was going to try and get up. And then, of course, I picked up my legs. And we have the typical law enforcement, the oh, snap. And when I saw that, that's when I, I just told myself, I got to save what I have left. So I started crawling up the embankment. Um, I realized my radio wasn't on me. My radio had become lost. My cell phone probably, you know, with the impact, uh, it was somewhere on the highway, so I couldn't call. So I just started crawling up the embankment, and I started flagging down people. And this is where I truly believe that God was there, too, and my father, who's in heaven. Uh, the first person that stops out to render aid is a nurse, a trauma nurse. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, Jessica Flores, who I will always be very thankful for. Uh, once she got there, and of course, I um, fortunately and unfortunately, I didn't lose my earpiece, so I could hear all the radio traffic, and I heard everybody coming to my aid, including my husband. Um, so once everybody got there, tourniquets were applied, total of six tourniquets. <laughs> uh, I know in law enforcement, we train, we, we talk about these tourniquets, but yes, they do hurt. <laughs> we're always like, no, let me see how far I can go. They they hurt. They very, they're very painful. It's probably the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. Um, the transport to the hospital... Uh, I know a lot of people have asked, you know, do you wish you would have, you know, lost consciousness? And no, I don't, even though it was a lot of pain. Had I lost consciousness, I probably wouldn't be alive today because I remember just telling myself, I have to stay in the fight. I have to stay here. I have to crawl. I have to find help. Once the transport happened, that's when I started relaxing in the ambulance. I started saying my goodbyes to my husband. And then once we got to the operating room, I was like, okay, I'm going to die. So I had actually started praying a long time ago, but then... When I told the surgeon, just let me go, it's okay. He was like, no, I got you. And then I felt him hit me on my neck. And I was like, oh, my God, did he just try to knock me out? <laughs> well, later on, I find out he was trying to find a vein. I had lost so much blood that he just decided to. And he had, it's crazy. We talked after this. He has the same philosophy, do good, do bad, but do something. And he said he just went for it. He was like, I couldn't find it, so I just stabbed you in the neck. And God. I got lucky. And I remember the hit. I was like, oh, my God, this this." This jerk just hit me. He's trying to knock me out. I, I just wanted to die, and he knocked me out. Um, 
But no, that, <laughs> when I said go ahead and let me go, I didn't mean beat me to death. I, I guess so. And I was like, oh my god, he he just knocked me out. And so of course I wake up and I'm looking around and I heard my husband's voice. Hey, you lost your your right leg. And I said, I know I was there. And, and, and later Typical on, cop response. And, and later, uh, I was and so, there. Yeah. And so later on, I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm such a I'm, I'm a terrible person for saying that to him. But then. I start asking questions uh, as far as I could feel a lot of, uh, I could feel my something on my face. I could feel something in my arms. And uh, for those that don't know, I actually had um, my right arm was had multiple lacerations. My face has a laceration. I actually have a ball spot. And if you look closely, I have a scar that goes uh, from my eyelid all the way to the top of my head. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, of injury. There were a lot of injuries. So I asked my husband, am I disfigured? And he's like, no, you're not. I said, Please don't lie to me. Just give me a mirror. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. He goes, you're not disfigured. And, of course, I could feel – I didn't even know they could stitch up an eyelid. So that's where I was just – I was like, oh, my God, I'm, how, how bad is it? Uh, but then after that, then came the call. They said, okay, let's let's talk about this. Um, and the the best thing that happened was that the community responds. That's what I was talking about, being from San, uh, living in San Marcos for so long. be 20 years this year that I, I started living in San Marcos. Um, the community – the university, everybody coming to us, not just for me, but for my family. That was fantastic. That was probably the best blessing I could I could have gotten out of this. Um, not in the law enforcement community, everyone, for all first responders, not just, you know, I know we, we have our typical disagreements with fire, EMS, but they were all there for my family. And I think that was the best thing for me because I knew that they probably didn't know what to do, what to say. And same thing for me. I was like, well, I'm here on cloud nine, you know, in a coma. But what about my family? Who's talking to them about this? Well, I'll eventually talk about it. But my family was probably the most con- the most concerned for me, not just because they were unfamiliar with first responders. Um, I come from a background. I have, I have two other siblings. My brother was in the military. Of course, he was deployed a couple of times, but he came back. Yeah. Uh, my sister's in the military as well. But she is um, she's right now she's stationed in Georgia. But me, I was one of the first traumatic incidents for my for my family. So that was very important for me to talk, to have support there for them. And that's where I'm very thankful with Texas state, my professors, my, all my, um, my classmates that I knew, uh, my sorority, our law enforcement community, fires, EMS, everyone came together for this. And that's probably, like I said, that's been the best thing about this whole incident. When, when you got knocked to the embankment and you're kind of down, it sounds like down a hill, you you realized your right leg was gone. You visibly, I guess, saw it or just could feel or you were fully aware. What caused you to not – what caused you to climb back up, pick yourself up, climb up the hill? Was there some training? Was there something in your background or is that just who Claudia was and how you were raised? Pick <laughs> yourself up and let's, let's move. Because me trying to put myself in that predicament and looking down and seeing my right leg's gone – I'd have probably laid there like a baby and <laughs> hope somebody come along or, I mean, that's, that's freaking badass stuff. Is that, yeah. was there a piece of training that, or is that just who Claudia was or is that your background or your family? Is there? Well, it actually comes back to training. It really does. So it comes from two people. Uh, our, my former, he was our, he was one of our commanders at my department. And then he was my, uh, uh, my instructor at uh, the police Academy, Randy Holmes. He had this exercise where he had a half a gallon of milk and he poured red paint in there. And he was telling us when you get shot, this is you bleeding out. And he started pouring the gallon. I remember we were in firearms training in the Academy and he's just pouring it out and he would stop. And then he'd be like, you still got, you still got, you're still in the fight. 
And then he would once again start pouring out, take a pause. You still have time to fight. So all that, he's like, you see all this time you have to fight? And he had his time, and I wish I could remember how long it was for him to finally pour out the, the gallon, but the half a gallon of milk. But that stayed in my mind. And then we also have um, Sergeant Cluel, who he teaches us, the, let's check ourselves, make sure what's going on. And so I, I don't know why, but I was looking for bullet holes, maybe because we train. Hey, let me check myself. So I started checking my neck, my body, and then that's when I was like, okay, body camera's gone, cell phone's gone, radio's gone, and oh, no, the leg is gone. Uh, but right there and then I said, I got to get help. I got to get back. Something told me. I got to save what I have left. I have my arms. I hadn't even seen the laceration on my arms. So I think that also helped me not see anything of the trauma that unfortunately my coworkers had to see, um, including my husband. So that actually helped me to where, okay, I'm not seeing anything. I legs missing, but I'm alive. I can, I can function. So, and I could hear the radio traffic. So I actually, I was like, okay, I got to climb this. And I did pretty much a military crawl. while I was crawling with my arms pushing with my other leg, my left leg, which was actually in five pieces. So it was probably adrenaline keeping me alive to where I didn't feel anything. Um, the only thing I felt, honestly, when the impact happened was like a carpet burn. That's why I thought, all right, I'm solid. I got this. And then, oh, no, there's there's no leg there. Uh, so I, maybe the, the fact that I didn't see anything, I just, I, I, I didn't see, what I mean, but I didn't see anything. I didn't see any blood. I saw my pant leg and that was it. And I'm like, where's my other boot? I was like, Okay, it's not there. All right, we got to move. And the lights on the highway, that was my only goal, get to the lights, get to the lights. I actually crawl under my, my, my patrol car because I didn't want to get hit again. And that's when I started screaming and trying to wave people down. And fortunately, uh, the trauma nurse, um, Jessica Flores, was the one that she said something didn't feel right. Just wow. same thing. She said she had instincts. And she said, something didn't feel right. And I just knew I had to get out. And let me tell you this. She was coming back from a wedding. She was dressed in a very nice dress and high heels. And I heard her screaming, I got you. I'm a nurse. And she's just running in high heels. And I'm like, Did, am, I, am, I, am I seeing this right? Is she running in heels? That was my concern, I guess, being a female. Oh, yeah. my gosh, she's running in heels. What's wrong with her? She's going to have blisters for weeks. But she ran up to me in a very nice dress. And, I mean, that's probably the first time I may have seen some blood because unfortunately her dress got covered and she started making um, tourniquets out of t-shirts when she got there. She, her kids and her brother actually gave her t-shirts and she started making the tourniquets. So that's where I was like, okay, well, I'm, let's see, you know, how much, let's see what happens. And I just, that's when I started praying. I'm like, if I die, I at least want to say my prayers. Um, and that's when everybody got there and I was like, all right, everybody's here. Once the tourniquets came on, I can honestly tell you that's when I, okay, this hurts. Stop it. This hurts. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got sent an angel in heels. I mean, that's <laughs> of all the people to that's, stop. That's know. amazing. A trauma nurse <laughs> is the first person to show up. She she is, and she was actually one of my care nurses at the hospital at uh, Seton Hospital. Uh, so I got to see her plenty of times. She got to meet my family. Wow. Uh, so we got to see her again. Um, we've gotten to see her again, and the the surgeon that saved my life that night. I've, I've kept in contact with them. Seton. Uh, Ascension Seton Hospital is just fantastic. I mean, they've become a second family to my family as well. I always I try to visit them as often as I can during Nurses Week, try to text them, hey, I'm fine. And, I'll, of course, I think it's important for them to see, um, just like my professors, the reassurance of how they helped, it's also important for them to know how important they are and the impact that they've had, not just in my life, but a lot of first responders um, in general. But so I always try to send them videos when I achieve a new milestone. The first time I got up, I got up, I, unfortunately I was in a wheelchair for a long time, but the first time I stood up on my, on my one leg that was in five pieces, I sent them that video. When I started walking on my prosthetic, I sent them that video. 
when I, now that I have a running prosthetic, I've sent them those videos just so they know, Hey, this is because of you. It's, it's a huge part because of you. It's amazing. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Freaking badass. Yeah. She's Warner. a badass. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I can't, uh, I'm, I, I go back to laying down the embankment. I, I, I hope I would have done half of what you did or had half the intestinal fortitude to plow through and push through. Cause that's a bad situation to be in. How, how long did you spend in the hospital total? So I was in hospitals for three months, one month at Ascension Seton and then two months at a transitional care facility. Um, so three months total, I was away from home and that's where I can honestly tell you, that's where a lot of things started sinking in. Like, Oh God, life has changed. At first I was like, okay, I'm alive. And then that hype kind of started not, um, not decreasing, but it was like, all right, we have a new reality here. Now I'm an amputee. What are we going to do with this? And the first thing that my husband and I had to do was forgive each other. Okay. We weren't there. We got to move forward with this. We can't stay stuck here. So that's when we decided to start talking to our family counselor. And eventually we started talking to our psychologist because we knew it was going to be very traumatic for us to even uh, function after this, for him to go back to work. And then our coworkers as well. Uh, what I did do, I was very respectful of my coworkers. I didn't ask them any questions about what they saw. Um, I didn't even read reports. If anything, I just, I was just thankful when they would come see me. I knew it was hard for them, but I didn't know how hard it was for them because I didn't see what they saw. So I was, I was very mindful of that. Um, so the three months that was actually in, even though I wanted to go home, I knew I wasn't ready to go home. There was, there were a lot of things that I needed to learn being on one leg. And even then I, I still couldn't um, walk or step on that one leg because it was still in five pieces. So there was a lot of rehabilitation. There was a lot going on to where, okay, these three months, let's make the best of it. Let's heal mentally. Um, even let's, let's heal mentally and physically. So that's, it was, it was three months away from home. Wow. Yeah. So I guess we can pick up on the, the mental side, uh, the mental health aspect of it. So obviously the physical aspect, uh, you're, you're rehabbing at the hospital, and that takes time. Uh, the, the body does amazing things, but I don't think, I think law enforcement is finally catching up to the mental health aspect. Uh, we're trying to navigate through the mental health uh, in the last probably 10, 15 years, more the last five. But let's touch on the mental health side of this. Um, what did that look like for you, your husband, for the department? Uh, I can only imagine, for you, I mean, just for you mentally, uh, again, this story is inspiring. I followed it. Clint's followed it. Give us kind of a timeline of kind of what it looked like for you uh, emotionally, mentally, and, and, and so forth. Well, the first thing we did after probably a week in the hospital, that's when we decided to contact our family counselor and say, can you come help us? And that's when, and she was actually the most helpful person because once she heard what happened, what we were going through, she talked to both my husband and said, guys, this isn't a marriage problem. This is a trauma problem and I will be here, but y'all need to find a trauma psychologist. And that's probably the most helpful hint that we even had because we were like, wait a minute, she's right. This isn't something we're just going to, you know, we're talking to each other. She said, you are, and that's great. But this is something out of my, my realm. She's like, I think y'all should seek a PTSD trauma counselor. So we were like, wow, thank you so much. And so, that's what we talked to our coworkers about very briefly, because like I said, we also wanted to be respectful It it takes time. My husband and I, I'm not going to say we healed at the same time. We were going through counseling at the same time, but I know we were healing differently. 
uh, different angles. Same thing with my family. Uh, like I said earlier, I actually come from a very culture, um, uh, a family that's very, how can I say this? <laughs> um, based on a lot of cultural, you know, barriers, uh, generation barriers. So we had to attack that too by being respectful also and just telling them, Hey, let's talk about this whenever you're ready. So that's the first thing we did in the hospital. When we moved to the transitional care facility, we would try, we would welcome anybody they wanted to come see us for as long as they wanted to come. You just want to come for five minutes. If you don't want to come at all, that's fine. If you just want to text, because that was also very different for them to come see me, the changes. And I was still healing. Unfortunately, I still had a lot of bandages, a lot of stitches. And for me, I was like, well, that's, it's still me, but it's very different for somebody that saw you. And I guess the best word is mangled. That's what the, I was yeah. described that, that I was mangled. Um, and I wanted to be very respectful. Like, okay, if you don't want to come see me, that's fine. I'm not going to say I understand, but I see why you don't want to come see me. Um, so that was, that was, a, that was my time when they're, you know what, let them heal, let them go, let them be, whenever they're ready to come talk to me about this. And the reassurance was when they did start coming and have lunch with me, it was not just one or two people. It was groups of people, um, at the hospital, the same thing, groups of people would come see me, would come talk to me. Um, and when they eventually said, so what's next? And I was like, okay, great. They're, you know, we're moving along. It's a slow pace, but we're moving along. When I got home, that's when my husband and I started looking for a PTC trauma counselor because we knew being at home is like, okay, now we're not in a controlled environment anymore. We're back in our home where we're going to have to make a lot of adjustments. Uh, so that's where we, that's where we proceeded to let's find a trauma counselor and work this, work our way through this. Prior to the incident where you, you know, we all have that, the officer, uh, as bubbly and outgoing and the, in the life of the party where you kind of describe yourself prior to the incident to kind of give the listener or the watcher viewer, um, just to kind of outline you as your, your personality prior to the incident. That way they kind of understand who you were, because if you were a, an introvert or a, a, a quiet person, then maybe people really wouldn't you know, come around as much. Does that make sense when I'm trying to? Yes. No, I've, I've always been an extrovert. An introvert, I, I guess I'll have my moments where I need some time for something. But other than that, I've always been an extrovert. Um, and like I said, I think moving away from my hometown uh, to, you know, just, okay, let's do this. I got to know if I'm going to fail or not. That probably was is a lot what really helped me. And my father, uh, you know, rest in peace, my father, a fantastic man. But he was he was actually raised in the streets, and he had a lot of good points. When he, I would tell him about something that I wanted to complain about, my my father would right away put me in my place. He's like, look, you have no idea what the word need is. My father was raised single parent in Mexico uh, with six siblings, and so he said, you have no idea what the word need is. Number one, you're American. Number two, he goes, uh, you're educated, so you're fine. <laughs> and I, I actually... I don't remember this, but I would like to share this. When I woke up from my coma that day, uh, my husband says that I told him I saw my dad. My dad came to me. Actually, I went to my dad, and my husband's like, what? And I don't remember saying this to him, but apparently my dad was playing soccer, and I went up to him, and he said, you're going to be fine. And then my dream ended, and that's when I woke up from the coma and talked to them. So, you know, somewhere there. But, no, I've always been an extrovert. I like to have fun. I like to talk to people. I'm... I love listening to music. I love going out, but, um, so, so that pe- was supposed to So people not coming, seeing, seeing you at the hospital was, uh, it was a blow to you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like it was not that that's, that's out. that's really out of the norm. It was, it was a little bit disappointing, but then I said to myself, well, they probably need time. I can't make everyone right. 
travel at my pace, especially yeah. with trauma. I, I know we I, I think we've all we all can agree that it takes time. Everybody heals at their own pace. And I had to be respectful of that. Our department as well had been through a lot of trauma. We had we had our first line of duty, um, uh, line of duty death in 2017. And I know we were still navigating through all that. Like, how are we going to heal? Have we talked about this? And then mine happened in 2019. Um, and then unfortunately, almost a year, uh, almost a year, uh, my incident we had our second line of duty, a dear friend of ours. So all of these events, you know, it it piles on. So we had to find a way to, nav- to navigate through this, talking about it or just ourselves. Okay, let me go talk to someone about this. And then when I'm ready to talk about it with people, which is what my husband and I did, we need to talk about this amongst ourselves first, see where we need help, and then we can talk to other people about it. That was very important for us, especially we did not want to cause any vicarious trauma to anyone else. They didn't need to know the details. They didn't need to know the gore. They just needed to know what we did to, uh, you know, to achieve resiliency, which is very important in our family now. You bring up a great point that it's taken me a lot of years to figure out is understanding and respecting that everybody grieves differently. And just because your spouse or a friend doesn't grieve the way you grieve doesn't make it right or wrong. Everybody grieves. Some is sadness, some is anger, some is, you know, go go hit a punching bag or go to the gym or, you know, some it it comes out as mad or, or sad or, or whatever. But everybody grieves differently, and there's not a right right way or a wrong way or the proper way. Everybody does it different. And for the listeners, I guess to clarify, your husband at the time was in law enforcement, heard it all. Did he make it to the scene? Yes, he did. He was there. Wow. He was actually trying to keep me alive. He kept talking to me the whole time. And I remember I kept telling him, no, it's okay. You're going to be fine. Just let me go to sleep. I, I, I wanted, I said I was sleeping, but of course, obviously, you know, the blood loss was causing me to become tired, but he was the one that kept trying to talk to me and the ambulance, the same thing. He kept trying to talk to me. Uh, and my concern was, Oh God, I'm like, turn your body camera off. I don't want people to see me like this. And I was still like, I don't want people to see me like this. Of course, everybody had seen me, but he was there the whole time. The hospital, he actually lived with me at the transitional care, which the staff was actually very happy that he stayed with me. They're like, we don't mind. He can stay here. I was like, okay, great. So he lived with me the all three months in the hospital and the transitional care facility. And then of course at home, he took off about six months to be at home with me. Uh, just to help me in the initial recovery, because then I started physical therapy, but it was still very different navigating in a wheelchair. Um, then COVID hit, of course, it delayed more things, but um, it actually gave us a lot of time to heal mentally, to make sure that we were ready, even amongst each other. Um, he he actually told me one time he had a flashback where I'd l- I looked at him and he saw blood on my face. And I didn't know about this until he told me about it way later. And I said, okay, are, are you okay now? He said, yes, but I think I still need to we still need to talk about a lot of things. So that's when we continued our sessions with our, or the, with our psychologists to make sure, okay, I don't want to have be having these dreams, these flashbacks, something's obviously something's wrong. And of course there were triggers, but we wanted to make sure we were navigating through God. these things through the appropriate channel, not becoming, not adopting like the same bad habits, like any kind right. of addictions or anything, um, anything that was not going to be productive to us healing mentally and physically. And for our coworkers sake, like, what are the Cormiers doing? Are they're now alcoholics? It's like that would not have been good for them either. I wanted to reassure them as well that the work they did that night is the reason that I'm here today. Well, and we roll up to hundreds of traumatic scenes all the time. Not often you roll up to a traumatic scene and it's your spouse laying there. No, uh, I, that's that's a that's tough. That's a first. That's tough. Yeah, it's a, it's a different level of trauma. 
And that's one thing my husband and I, I, I didn't pressure him to talk to me about it because I knew I, I didn't know how he felt. I, I knew he felt helpless. That's one thing he did talk to me about. But I also wanted to make sure that I gave him his space. Just like, you know, marriage, <laughs> typical wife, husband. Okay, I know you need a different time. I know you need you need the TV on mute or you just have the TV and you're just flipping to channels, but your mind is somewhere else. You're not, your body's in the living room. Your body's not watching the Astros, but your mind is somewhere else. Um, and for me, it was more of, okay, well, let me go to the... Let me go to my office, read cards, read notes, letters that I had received from so many people across the nation. So that's where we did. We were very much uh, a team to where, okay, you need your space. Okay, I get it. And I need my space. Uh, this is what I will do. Uh, but, yes, I, I can, I, like I said, I can't even imagine what that was for him. Well, I, I, two things. You said team, but we needed space. And I think that's important because every spouse, every relationship just because somebody may need space to process or do something different doesn't mean we're not still a team. I may just need to go figure out how to navigate this, but I, I respect that you guys consciously thought through how do we work through this together? How do we not affect anyone else or our coworkers? Um, and that you wanted to do it the right way because the easy thing to do is go to the liquor store and grab a handle of whiskey or, you know, just, run across the border and go gamble for three days and be stupid and tons and tons of respect. And I, I hope a lot of people listen to this episode about the conscious effort decision y'all made to work as a team, respect each other's space, respect each other's different way of grieving, respect that other coworkers may, cause you hear all the time, like somebody's passing away. Well, I don't want to go see him like that. Cause I want to remember him as, this image or I don't want to go see her because it's going to freak me out to see that she's damaged. And rather than you being like, Oh, okay, well screw them. If they don't want to come, <laughs> even in the predicament you're in going, Hey, I, I, I understand. I understand. It may, I, I admire incredibly the way you and your husband have handled this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, it was, it was a lot of also support from our family and our coworkers. And I will say the reassurance was that they never stopped checking in on us just to know how to see what we were doing, what we were up to. And you know, you've, you know, you've hit the jackpot when they start sending you amputee videos. It's like, Oh, they're okay with me being this way. This is the new me. And then eventually, you know, and you know, our, our humor in law enforcement, oh my eventually God. it moves to, Funny amputee videos, yeah. which I'm like, okay, this is this what I'm going to look forward to. They're going to do this. They're going to yeah. they're going to steal my prosthetic while it's you know it's somewhere behind. And so that's where I was like, okay, how soon was that? <laughs> Probably within you know within a year. Okay, me I was going to say like weeks. Sit cop, sit cop humor. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, the cop humor. That's when it comes. You know, with the tourniquets, where we're all like, we will never play again with those things. Those things hurt. Yeah. It's like that's when I was like, I, you know, I have a different respect for them because they. They they haven't heard, you know, but yeah, that's that's when I knew. Okay, we're we're going in the right direction. It's just taking us different time, yeah. and everybody's in their own path because we don't. We also, like I said, we don't know what everybody's going through personally, not just because of a law enforcement career, but personally, there's things that affect them. Um, and like I said, we had our line of duty death in 2017, our first one, and we were still trying to heal from that. Um, so that was that was like I said, that was very important for me. And when I started receiving those videos, and my husband, when he went back to work, when they started asking him. And I'm going to say this very, not to offend, but very personal questions. Uh, and even though it's a predominantly male environment, I like the fact that they approached them and just said, how are you doing? 
when do you ever hear men checking on men? Yeah. Very rarely. So I was like, okay, we've hit the jackpot. They're Good. They're ready to talk. They're giving him that space to just breathe. Um, especially at work when he went back, um, he was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, well, I'm at home. I'll text you. I would check in with them. I would, sometimes I would, cause I learned how to drive with my left foot. Funny story that we'll talk about later, <laughs> but I would, I would go up there in my wheelchair and check in on him, check in on everyone. And that's what they also liked uh, because I was also known as the cook, not just as an extrovert, but as the cook of the department. So I would take food up there like, okay, Claudia's still her. She's just missing a leg, but it's still her. Um, And even then, like the conversations, when they started getting a little bit better is when they were asking, so what does Claudia look like? What does her limb look like, her residual limb? And I know a lot of people were like, that's too personal, but the fact that they want to know and how are y'all doing? How are you healing? It's like, even though I I know a lot of people were like, well, isn't that offensive? They're asking very personal questions. I said, we work together every day, you know. There, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into working with these people every day. You get, there's, it's a family. You're, you are brothers and sisters. And the fact that they were comfortable with asking these questions, not just out of, I know a lot of people say, what's well, morbid curiosity. I didn't, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as, okay, they want to know, they want to make sure they're respectful. And if it is curiosity, I mean, we're all cops. We're, we're, we're very curious. <laughs> there's a lot of curiosity in all of this. Well, in uh, going through traumatic events, I've seen where people don't know what to say, and so they disappear or pull back because they're like, well, I didn't know what to say, and I didn't want to ask her, <laughs> you know, or, you know, I don't want to walk up to somebody that's missing a leg and be like, hey, what's up? How you doing? And mm-hmm. and so you have people disappear from your life because they're like, well, it was just easier not to have to have awkward silence or I didn't know what to ask. Well, I, I, I like what you just said. I, I'd rather you come up and ask an awkward question. At least I know you care or you're interested yeah. than disappear because you're afraid of what you might see or you don't know what to ask or you don't know what's appropriate to ask. I'd rather you be involved than disappear. Yes. It, and like I said, it was very, I think it helped my family as well know that a lot of people, they were still very interested in what was going on and what, what's therapy like? What do you do there? Um, the x-rays, I, a lot of people are actually curious about the x-rays of how my limb looked. Like I said, it was in five pieces, the left leg. And so I didn't mind showing that because there was nothing gory about it. That's where I also did draw the line, I will be honest with you. I did not want to give them any kind of, like, they don't need to see blood. And I yeah. and I completely said, you know what, if you want to see that, you know where those pictures are. But I don't recommend seeing them because I myself, I've seen a few pictures, just it was for me to heal but I will say this, I had already been through counseling for three and a half years before I decided I want to see pictures of the scene. And of course, I wasn't there anymore. They didn't take pictures while I was there. I have never seen my body cam video, and I don't think I need to. Yeah. I had been interested in it for a long time. And eventually, when I went through my counseling sessions, I lost interest. I said, why do I need to see that? Why do I need to hear it? And so that's one thing I don't look, I really, I've kind of just put that in the, like, no, I don't, I don't think I need that. Um, I've seen, I've only seen pictures of what the scene looked like, the measurements. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, this is it. But unfortunately, and this, they didn't find out till way later is that where the measurement, the measurements were taking our collision investigation team, I actually didn't land there. So I was like, well, they actually didn't know I landed in an embankment and crawl and crawl back up. So I was like, well, I don't need this. It, you know, they're going to be, um, this is, this is just where I, I crawled up. Um, so I, 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 I only browsed through them one time. 
Um, I read reports and even then I was like, well, I don't need to read these. This is what they went through. I need to be respectful of what they've been through. They want to talk to me about it. I'll wait. If they don't ever want to talk to me about it, that's fine too. They've, they still come around. They still show me funny videos. They're happy to see me. And that, that's all that matters at this point. Um, I still go through my sessions with my psychologist just to make sure any, if anything that comes up, any triggers, I want to make sure I address them. Um, so that's one thing that I've, I've been very conscious about and my husband too. I'm glad you just mentioned triggers uh, because some we have a lot of younger watchers or, or listeners. Um, can you can you kind of touch on what a trigger might look like or what it, what what a trigger experience is? Uh, because a lot of listeners or younger law enforcement people may not understand kind of what that looks like or what that feels like, especially with PTSD, uh, because we're starting to notice that Clint just went through an experience. John Sariga is a VP with Copline, or excuse me, he's on the board with Copline. And so there's kind of uh, an experience going on with uh, some mental health going on with uh, the experiment going on with Copline, with the mental wellness, with the um, concussions and repeated concussions and seeing what TBI does to cause or exacerbate um, post-traumatic stress and you know, does repeated concussions add to contribute or one of the, the causes of it? Is that what causes or manifests a lot of the suicides and cause CTE that we see in the NFL oh, and yes. things like that? And so as we're, as we're starting to see younger law enforcement guys be exposed to PTSD. And so what, what would a trigger, I guess, you know, look like to a, to a younger officer, if you can kind of touch on that, or maybe if you don't want to, that's fine. Oh, it was, so it could be anything. I mean, my example for my, my incident was, um, so when I was in the ambulance, of course, all I could see was the ceiling and the lights in there. But for some reason, one day in my kitchen, when I looked up at the lights, they resembled the ones in the ambulance. And I just completely like, oh, my God, I'm back in the I'm back in the ambulance. And it took me like a few seconds. And my husband noticed it. And I said, I just looked at our lights and it looks like the ambulance. And he said, do you want me to change them? I said, no, let's let's pause. Let's breathe. And I, I informed my psychologist of this and that we were actually going through uh, EMDR the therapy. So, and if, if anybody wants to know what that is, um, look it up. It's I, I'm not very well versed in it, but I, it worked for me and it might not work for somebody, but, uh, we went through a session of EMDR and it helped a lot. So uh, now that now my husband's changing because he replaced my, he actually, um, did this whole thing for our anniversary where I have my pots hanging off the ceiling, <laughs> but those lights are gone now. But I, when it first happened, it just reminded me of the ambulance, right? When I'm just, um, riding there, laying, laying in the, in the stretcher, saying my goodbyes. And I told my husband, don't change him. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me see why. And it's just when they came on something about them flickering. Cause in the ambulance, the ride was kind of, um, bumpy. of course, bumpy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's what happened. So he actually just changed the bulb, but did not change the lights completely. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing was, um, there's a, there's actually a musical video that it, this happened about a year ago. I'm going to say, which I hadn't had a, a major trigger in a while, but um, a year ago, uh, there's a song, and I can't, I, I believe it's called Two Step by Ed Sheeran. There's a video, and a musical video where there's a bus or a uh, bus coming at him, and the lights, and it looks like it's gonna, he's gonna get run over. That sent me back to the scene of the accident. Wow. And so I, I saw that video once, and I was like, I can't see this again. And that one really did, and I'm gonna say this because I didn't know this. My husband actually has uh, anxiety. I, had never felt what it was like. I didn't know what it was until my, my critical incident where there's a tightness in the chest. You can't breathe. You want to go. And of course I couldn't go anywhere. I'm there on the ground with six tourniquets on 
So that caused me major anxiety. And my husband, same thing. He's like, what's going on? I said, that video, I can't watch it. So I informed my psychologist. We did an EMDR session. We talked about this. And then uh, probably about two days later, I went back and I watched the video. And I said, okay, now I know what, what it did to me. Just the lights took me back to where the scene of the incident happened. So um, something like that. I know it can happen with smells. I haven't had that with um, with touch. It, anything can happen. Um, but to me, it happened with those I can re- that I can recall probably those two times. What did happen that was very interesting was when, when I was going through one of my EMDR sessions, I actually felt the tourniquets come back on my body. And oh, that wow. I started coughing. Like I, I started choking on my own saliva during one of my sessions. And my psychologist like, are you okay? And I said, the tourniquets came back on. And she's like, well, you don't have them on. Just, you know, look at yourself. So things like that that can happen. And it takes me back to the accident, but it doesn't take me there for a long time, which that's when I knew, okay, I'm, I'm getting better. And now when I drive by the the area where it happened, I don't go back to it. I just like, oh, it's just, it's just that mile marker, but I don't focus on it. I don't think about it. It doesn't take me back there anymore. I know when my husband, it's, he said it, it still did probably a year ago, but most recently, since he doesn't have to drive by in there anymore, since he retired, he doesn't think about it as much. You seem extremely well adjusted. Like if somebody didn't know, they would think this was 12 or 15 years ago. <laughs> You seem extremely comfortable in your skin, who you are, where you're at, what you've been through, what life looks like now. Incredibly comfortable with that. What was that a was that a multiple months deal? Was that a couple of years deal? Are you still a work in progress, and it just looks like a a perfect, beautiful package on the outside? Or because I mean, literally, if I watched this and didn't know, I, I would think this was 15 years ago. Because you seem really you you seem to have navigated it very, very well. Well, no, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. I can honestly say that I, we actually just went through our, to my fourth alive anniversary. And I can tell you for me, it's I'm alive, but I don't celebrate it. So outgoingly because I know for other people, it's very different. Just like we were talking about people heal differently for my husband. It's still a bad memory for my family. It's still very hard because they remember what happened at every specific hour of that day. For me, it's just like I'm alive. And for my coworkers, I can't even imagine what it's like for them. Um, I know we hear sometimes, no, I don't want to be a hero. And I try to be very mindful of that to where I just say hi to them. I just check in on them, but I don't go to their face and celebrate. Yes. Look at what you did. You put on tourniquets and I'm alive. What if they don't want to remember that? I can't, I can't push that memory on them. I know it's there, but I don't want to also uh, make things worse for them. So I'm very respectful when it comes to that. Um, I've also, in my time in grad school, I've dedicated my entire research on mental wellness for law enforcement. And I would like to focus now on first responders because a lot of, I will say this, a lot of what happened, a lot of good that happened there was because of our fire department. Firefighters, they went in there and they just started doing things because they are, obviously they have more medical training than we learn. Um, so they were there just, they took over, they helped, they stayed with my husband. And that's one thing I focused on all these, these, uh, couple of years in grad school and my project, this is where I've really wanted to make sure that I help and I give back to my community, to the law enforcement community, to the first responder community and the families. That's where I've dedicated my time to create a return to duty program. San Antonio police department has one. And I've actually looked into theirs to where in my research, we can expand it to first responders that have been through, through a traumatic um, incident and how to come back from that 
Um, and not just first responders, but our civilian staff, they are very, I, I believe, I, I honestly think we forget about them. Yeah. Um, all our civilian staff dispatch had to hear me on that radio. Yeah. And I don't think it was easy for them because I've worked with so many of them for a long time. So that's probably been my focus and that's probably what has helped me and what has motivated me to not, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say rush the healing process, but okay, if this isn't working, what can I try? Kind of navigating, not just becoming stagnant. Like I said, some of the triggers, okay, they don't happen, but something's going to come up. So I've tried to be very um, kind of preventative before it gets into something more. So that's that's probably what has helped me a lot more, focusing in that return to creating that return to duty program for law enforcement. Eventually in the future, when I go back to apply for uh, my doctoral degree, um, to expand it to the first responder community and our civilian staff that they as well, they endure a lot of trauma. I think the, the first person I can think of, the first people I can think of is also our evidence staff. They have to process my clothes and that's, that that's not easy for them. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine like, just like you said, rolling up on your spouse and seeing what happened, but your evidence staff, they work with you every day. So that's, that's one thing that I, I, I want to say that has motivated me. I has empowered me also to heal not as quickly as possible, but as, as quickly as I can manage and my family can manage um, to finish this return duty program. And hopefully we can expand it to everyone. Well, the strength in the, in the outlook is amazing because um, it's easy to sit and have a pity party and woes me and look what, look, you know, I'll, like, I'll just sit around and I mean, it's like you've doubled down on, I'm inspired to, yeah. you know, figure out how to do this better and what can we, how can I broaden and assist, and I mean, that's that's the freaking polar opposite of pity party. Is yeah. let let's strap on and let's go figure out how to help more people and duff the boots off. We got we got yep, work to do. Let's roll. Yeah. We, I admire that because we all have pity parties at time, and sometimes you can get stuck in that loop, and um, it's hard to get out of once you get in it. It's it can be hard to get out of that dark spot sometimes, <laughs> and I think that's the best way to do it is let's put our gloves on and get to work. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. I love that. What helped also is the, like I said, just the support from the nation. But you all, I also had a lot of uh, amputees reach out, and not just amputee officers, but I had a, a gentleman, Mark, for, um, I can't pronounce his last name for Kyle, from a survivor from the Boston Marathon bombing. I mean, wow. I was like, no, you, this is what happened to you. I mean, I was doing my job, but you were just there to participate in. And of course we start, and that's the thing that I learned from my psychologist. Don't compare your trauma to anybody else. Trauma is trauma and meeting other officers. Of course, Matias Ferreira, New York, double amputee. Great time meeting him. Um, my other friend, Jason in Louisiana, uh, above the knee amputee. So it's just been fantastic meeting them and learning. Okay. How are we healing? How are we doing? How are we pushing through this to go back to full duty? So that's been, and of course the latest uh, double amputee in Fort Worth, um, Zach. So, that's that's probably what also has helped to where okay where are we in our in our journey and what has helped and we actually exchanged like okay this helped me this didn't uh, and same thing like I said earlier drawing that line to where we're not causing each other vicarious trauma. I think the community, even probably a lot of cops, I was would be shocked to learn how many police officers are amputees. Um, we had a member reach out several years ago, young young uh, officer had lost his leg in an incident and kind of thought, man, I had the whole world whipped and I've lost my leg and, and, you know, life as I know it's over and my life's over and I'm done. We found another officer that was an amputee, uh, quite a bit older, uh, in his fifties 
but was a PT stud, CrossFit stud, scratch golfer. Um, and the other officer was in a pretty dark spot. And some of us were like, well, I, I can't tell him. I'm telling him incidents I've been through, but I haven't lost my leg. I don't, I, and I don't want to be the guy that's been like, you know, I'm, I understand what you're going through. Well, no, you don't. You haven't lost. And so we hooked those two up together. And it started out with the older guy sent him some video of him doing CrossFit, some video of his golfing. He was literally a scratch golfer, was a PT stud. And then they ended up getting together um, and spending some time together and getting letting him see, man, this guy's twice my age and kicks my ass in the gym. This is – you know, let me pull myself together and, yeah. and move forward. And I think that's a great outreach that you mentioned, Matthias, and all of those, because uh, you, you, you've been through very similar stories. And I mean, it's like going up to somebody that lost their parent going, well, I know what it's like. I lost a cat one time. Well, I don't, it's not exactly the same. I think it's important. Um, and I think it's a great testimony you have. Yes. And then I, 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 I got to give credit to my, my physical therapist, Dr. Taylor Kurtz. He's been amazing. He has just, he was fresh out of PT school and he got me as a patient. He's like, I guess we're doing this together. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So we just started looking at videos, Instagram. And of course he told me, do not compare yourself to this amputee. They were born like that. They've been an amputee longer than you. Uh, so let's work on that. Let's work on to, let's find the technique to where to get to how they learn to get where they're at right now. I mean, there's that, the, the adaptive, um, the, there's a, the adaptive CrossFit um, Amy Breen, fantastic. She's the number two fittest woman in the world, and she's she was born without a leg. God. So that's who I follow to learn my techniques from. Cool. See what okay, how can I adjust to this? And most recently, I started learning how to use my running prosthetic. So that's my. I, I used to run all the time. I used to do CrossFit actually, and my physical therapist, thankfully. He was very much of a CrossFitter. He used to do wrestling. And oh, he's excellent. like, you know what? We got this. And so there's a lot of things that I we we decided, okay, let's <coughs> if we're gonna do this, we gotta find different avenues. And of course, um my department, our defensive tactics team, we learned from Diaz martial arts. So I actually went to him, the owner, Eddie Diaz, and I said, Can you can I be your student? He goes, Yeah. He goes, I had a student without an arm. Why not one without a leg? I was like, All right. So as long as I, I think I know. I, I think the fear was rejection. They're going to tell me, no, we can't have you here. But it's like, well, if they can, because they're afraid, that's fine. Then move on. Let's, let's find somewhere else. And thankfully my, uh, my old CrossFit place, I haven't gone back yet, but I did talk to them. Like, can I come back? They're like, absolutely. Maybe you can teach us how to have students because it could open the door to so many people that are out there. Like, I don't know where to go. I don't know if I should go here or not. I'm in a wheelchair. I don't have this. I don't have that. So I was just like, you know, if they tell me no, they tell me no. Oh, well I can move on. And that's one thing I learned from my doctor with um, my my surgeon that saved me saved my life. Then I, Doctor Oscar Rios, he's the one that said, "You know what?" He goes, "Yes, you can." Because I asked him, I was like, "Can I go back to work?" And I was waiting for the no. He goes, "Yes, but you got a lot of work to do. I can't tell you what to do though." That's exactly what he said. He goes, "But I can tell you with the injuries that you had. That way, you know what could have happened. Other than death, this is what could have happened. This is where you are, and this is where." you're going to have to go to go to work. But he said, I can't tell you what to do. And that was probably the best advice. Cause he said, I'm not going to tell you how to get there, That's but awesome. you can, you can get there. You just got to find people that are willing to work. And like I said, best physical therapist I got, even my occupational therapist, great ones now working with a running specialist. And then everybody else that's been there along the way, everybody has told me what they did, how to adjust, adapt and overcome. Like they say, you got to just adapt. That's what the word is. Adaptive. It's not, well, we gotta we gotta modify this. It's we gotta adapt. Um, the, of course, there are things that I'm still learning how to do. I've 
been an amputee for four years. Unfortunately, I was in a wheelchair for a year and a half due to due to being delayed uh, due to COVID. But after that, I said, well, that gave me time to heal mentally. Now let's start with the physical work. Where am I going to struggle? Where am I going to have to work harder at? Um, and that's one thing that my physical therapist is always very cognizant about. It's like, okay, you've already improved here. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's move on here. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of it. I think that has also helped me in my physical journey to where let's, let's keep learning. There's always something that can change, um, especially with prosthetics. And then my limb, um, my body is always going to change. There's something with the pressure change with, you know, pain, there's, there's always pain there. Like we talked about earlier, um, I'm not. I'm not, you know, I'm not finally comfortable. I'm not fixed. This is a work in progress. Um, I'm comfortable, but there are still still some things that I, like I said before, I need to work on. I'm going back to, I promoted recently, so I'm going back to work the streets. And Boom. <laughs> there's, there's some anxiety there. My family, my husband, and in, even in me, and I'm sure my coworkers, but it's one of those things where, well, let's, let's see what, where the work needs to be done. My therapist already told me, all right, you tell me what we got to make changes uh, you tell me what I got to do, what times I need to come see you, and we'll work from there. So that's one thing that's that's probably the newest the newest challenge I have coming up going back. And my my project, I'm almost done with my project, my return to duty program. I'll be graduating next year, and so those two things are on my mind right now. That's that's probably my biggest focus right now. It's not not that I don't care about the the, the mental uh, issue, but it's one of those where okay, I'm okay right now. Something comes up, I have my psychologist. I can go talk to her. Um, if not, then. You know, it's just like I, I tell my husband, let's just move forward. You know, we, we can't be stagnant. We can't be waiting for for something bad to happen. Yeah. I can't be stuck at home. Um, with a hundred snakes. <laughs> can't be stuck at home with a hundred snakes. <laughs> no, yeah. I promise you they're in their own building. They don't come out. They, they love being there. Uh, they, they lo- it's temperature controlled. So I'm glad they have their own building because I can't imagine a home at 80 degrees all the time. No. No. You're, you're, you have a freaking incredible testimony. Yep. Um, amazing testimony. Your, your, your passion and strength and drive and... I love the busybody. I mean, I don't have time for this. I'm friggin' yeah. Finish my master's, gonna start on my doctorate, and and the programs you're looking to implement. Oh, I mean, that is what an incredible testimony. She's a badass, I'm telling you, corporal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, whatever we can do to help you out to get this program uh, spread out of there, or the information out there, uh, you got my number, Clint. You you can definitely get his, and uh, you know we're here for you. Thank you and so much. Really, really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time too. And the, you know, let me share my story and above all, letting me share the journey and the aftermath. We always hear about the trauma, but what happens afterwards? What do we do? Where do we go? What's your husband's name? Jason Cormier. Jason, shout out to Jason. uh, Cause he walked through this, you know, this, this uh, experience with you. I could not imagine uh, going through an incident like that with my wife. uh, And he deserves some, you know, shout out too. So shout out to Jason. Uh, for going through this with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yep, absolutely. Well, we actually end these episodes with some rapid fire. I'm going to let Clint do it because I always screw him up. <laughs> and there's an ongoing uh, battle with one of the questions, and he always he thinks that I taint the uh It's going to be skewed, though, because she's young. She's not going to know. Bullshit. She will. Watch. Okay. Last she's year. young. All she's right. young. She won't know. Yeah. Well, she's been in law enforcement since 2010. 2016. Well, no, but oh, you were. You 2000, 2007. Yeah. Oh, she. Oh, I, she got this. Watch. <laughs> Rapid fire. We always ask three questions. Same three questions. I got faith in you. Don't let me down. 
best cop movie or your favorite line from a cop movie? Oh, God. I have to go with the other guys. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, the other guys? <laughs> I'm a peacock. Yeah. you got to let me fly. <laughs> Number one answer. <laughs> yep. It is. An, I bet it's been given five times, least, six yeah. times probably. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Or is it their, their argument was so convincing. Yeah. So convincing. That's the best movie ever. <laughs> My husband had never seen it. Are you serious? I was like, oh, this is like, a, I said, you can't, you can't do this to me. I mean, this is where I, I consider divorce. I mean, I know we've been through a lot, but yeah. you have to watch it. So we actually watched it during COVID. Oh, that's like, awesome. My wife had never seen Boys in the Hood the other day. I was like, <sighs> this is like gangster shit. This is awesome. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I had to educate my kids and we watched Colors. Really? It's a oh, good wow. Robert Duvall. They oh, yeah. had seen that one. Yeah. He's stalling right now. Sean Go ahead. Kane, Robert Duvall. Go ahead. <laughs> Best police vehicle ever made. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know cars. I just know like your favorite. Oh, your favorite, favorite police vehicle. My favorite police vehicle ever. Oh, my God. Your favorite. My favorite. I'm going to have to go with. I'm going to have to go with my Explorer because I shared it with Justin Putnam, our second line of duty death. 1702. It was a Ford Explorer. I can't remember what year, but well, 17 obviously. 17. It had number 1702. Right. We shared it. That's and he said, and when I, my incident yeah. happened, he said, "I want to drive it for Claudia." There you go. That's a perfect answer. Yep, that's good. <laughs> perfect answer. Yep. Last one. Your favorite adult beverage, and if you don't do adult beverages, your your drink of choice when you relax and unwind. What what puts you in your happy place? I love red wine. I love. Um, Rosé. We drink rosé because my husband doesn't like reds. He likes white wine. So probably a rosé. Sparkling rosé. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Some can wine guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He likes wine. He, he, love, he collects whiskey, but he I got him into wine just because I, I cook a lot. And so rosé. He'll enjoy rosé with me. What's his favorite whiskey? <laughs> oh, God. Is it? It's a bourbon. It's the... I can't even remember right oh, Angel's now. Angel's It's an, one with an orange label. And he's going to get some Weller orange label. Weller orange label. He's going to get so mad at me. because you, you did not. You know all this whiskey <laughs> and you couldn't say the name. It's not Angel's Envy. Does he like it neat on a rock? Neat. Neat. All right. My man. I don't even know what that means. My man. <laughs> that means just pour it in a glass and let's sip it because it's oh, good. That's like, mm-hmm. that's a man shit. Yep. I mean, okay. Well. My man, as Denzel would say. Yeah. <laughs> Corporal Cormier. Cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story with everybody because it's important and it matters. And what a freaking inspiration. I hope that I would manage half as well as you have if I went through that. I still think I would be laying in the ditch <laughs> hoping somebody come and rescued me. Yep. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, greatly appreciate you. Clear eyes, full hearts. You can't lose. So, greatly, 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 greatly appreciate you. You guys stay safe. Uh, hit that like button, subscribe. Button, uh, you got anything else? Nope. Everybody, please be safe. Summer's heating up. Calls are probably getting hot. People are getting hot and mad. Please stay safe. Take care of each other. Look out for one another. Uh, God bless each of you. And, and as always, may God bless Texas. <laughs>